Welcome in AWA Unleashed. We are the number one self-proclaimed preeminent podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the great, the uh, great days, the gravy days with the biscuit wheels of the American Wrestling Association. We've got a lot of fun. And uh, as you can tell by the background, I've gone to the upstairs uh, office area and we're doing it a little bit later at night because I feel like uh, guys, this is going to be one of those. I, I don't want to say AWA Unleashed after dark, but I can tell you who's sitting back in the, uh, I don't say gorilla position, who's waiting backstage to come out. Guys, I got to admit, man, I've been looking forward to this. Like, I'm just, I'm juiced up beyond belief for what we've got coming up. Heish, shish, heish, heish, heish. Yeah. This is. This is going to be a good one, no question about it. And I was going to ask you about that, Chris. The decor, you pulled the shade, which mm-hmm. I know at your place is lost because of the stuff that goes <laughs> on there on, pretty much on a continuing basis. What happens thought, in Plymouth stays in Plymouth, okay? Well, Just yeah, okay. I, I you know, got, got a little, little concern there. I thought maybe, you know, you had been banished to another location, parts unknown. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, known as our office. Yes, yes. Yeah, I've been this banished. This is going to be a good one. We've been looking forward to this and uh, – yeah, hang on, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a good ride. Yep. So uh, that being said, let's go ahead and uh, thank our sponsors. Uh, you can see Soda Stick right there. Uh, they do a great job with all of our merchandise. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put the uh, put the scroll up there. If you want uh, an AWA gimmick, AWA Unleashed gimmick with the gimmick, because people like the gimmick, Nick, uh, you can go to sodastickco.com. Uh, slash collections AWA Unleashed. Get a hoodie, get your name on it, rep the podcast, uh, rep the AWA Unleashed Army, whatever you want to call us. But uh, we're having a blast with that. Also, as you can tell, I'm going to put it up there on the screen, 7th Avenue Pizza as well. Great frozen pizza, you guys. It doesn't taste frozen. Uh, their new breakfast pizza, I had it this morning. Uh, it is the, uh, the cat's meow, as the kids would say. Uh, okay, are we uh, are we ready to go? We're gonna do two parts here because I we can't we can't fit this into just one show, right? I, I feel like we had to do two parts, guys. Yeah. I mean, fair fair to say, like if we would have done one time, one one hour, I would have been pissed because I would have felt that we would have left a lot of stuff on the table. Agreed. No question about it. You know, and and with the size of this guy, you need two shows. You can't get all of this man in one podcast, even visually. So uh, so with that, uh, we are going to introduce a good friend of ours. Look at him. The guy has not aged a bit in the last 30 years. He is everybody's favorite barbarian and berserker and Yukon. Our buddy John Nord. John, how are you, pal? Hey, you guys. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, AWA, gosh, brings a tear to my heart. You know what? Or a tear to my eye. Uh, you know, I'm feeling very, very excited about this, but I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, you always start thinking about saying something clever or and all that, and I'm going to, but um, and you guys are going to, but I, I'm also feeling very grateful. You know, this is really cool stuff. 
Well, we are, we're delighted to have you here. You don't have to worry about us saying anything uh, clever, John. I mean, we'll leave that up to you. Uh, okay. It ain't going to come from us. Uh, no, no. So, uh, again, legendary as far as I'm concerned in pro wrestling and one of my absolute favorite people, not only in the business but on the planet as no. far as I'm concerned, John Nord. So, Chris, I know you wanted to kick it off. You've been chopping at the bit, buddy, so have at it. Oh man. And again, I just, I am just thrilled beyond belief for this. When I met him for the last like summer, like within the first two seconds, I mean, I literally was just like busting up because it was just like one liner after one liner after one liner. And I couldn't catch my breath because I just kept laughing so hard. And then it's like, you know, he tells us he's a fan of the show and then you want to get on. I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course we'll get him on. So yeah, let me uh let me no, thanks a lot, you guys. That was and I know right where it was too. It was in the elevator. And then we went over to the thing and oh we were laughing. That was kind of a story I can't quite tell where. Yeah. So, you guys know what I mean, but don't worry about thanks, us. Chris. Chris. God, thanks, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and kick it off, John, by talking about maybe what is considered the mecca uh, of pro wrestling talent here in the Twin Cities, and that's Robbinsdale. Uh, I mean, you talk about the legendary names that came out of Robbinsdale High School. What sports did you participate in? And, I mean, who were some of your fellow students? Well, uh, I, I was in football and wrestling. I grew up my whole life wanting to be a pro football player, but uh, – you know, as uh, ha- Kurt Henning used to say, if you untie your knees, you'd be a pretty good athlete, Nord. <laughs> but, uh, oh, the list goes on and on. But uh, uh, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I was an average uh, wrestler, heavyweight. I was the heavyweight that could beat the football. I mean, I was a football player that could beat the heavyweight. So they were always recruiting me. But uh, mainly football and, of course, you know, we had Barry Darso, Kurt Henning, Rick Rude. Uh, Zink was a soccer player that had tripped me in the hallway, and then I'd have to get my hands on that little <laughs> gun and squeeze them. And, of course, over to the side was Scott Norton and Mike Hegstrand over at Henry. Oh my and they God. would cruise by in, uh, at the Robbinsdale McDonald's, and Henning would give them a little punch through the – window of their car and of course they thought it was me and then came looking for me thanks kurt <laughs> no kurt would never no well, he's not cut that way no. you know one thing we'd always say in the later years kurt remember the country western song where george jones would go oh we all knew he would oh and uh kurt henning was saying that all the time like hey kurt i just got my fourth dui and you go Ah, uh, we all knew you would. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know. no, no wonder it's the mecca of, of uh, pro oh, wrestling. We're out of control. There's one. Uh, didn't Medusa go to Robbinsdale as well? Yeah, she did. And uh, I think she was about four years, five years younger than me. And uh, uh, I just don't remember her, you know, that well at that them ages. But what I do remember is growing up in neighborhoods with all the guys I just mentioned. I mean, it really was incredible, but it was also so much fun that a guy had no right to have that much fun, you know? 
You know, it really was. You gave the list of those guys, and and I, if you're any kind of a wrestling fan who has followed the business for the last 25 or 30 years, and you hear that list, you think, what all from the same high school? And then you yeah. go back even further than that when you had Larry Hennig and Vern Gagne coming out of there. Yeah, I mean that is one hell of an alumni from Robinsdale. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mitch. But you know. The thing is, if you got to really know Robinsdale, you got to kind of know that in 1943, Vern Gagne graduated, uh, two-time national champ and all that. And before him was a guy named Butch Levy. Ah, yeah. Uh, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, sure. Anyways, Vern was downtown Robinsdale. My father-in-law, uh, the, the gal I was married to for 25 years, built the Palace Pizza Oh, they God. built and and Vern and him worked at the restaurant. And Vern actually came from a broken family. Most people don't know a little bit. Oh. And he stayed with my in-laws when Vern Gagne graduated in 1943 with my father-in-law. They graduated together, and he actually stayed with my father-in-law's parents. And wow. uh, there's a place downtown Robinsdale called the Robin Hotel. And it's still standing, uh, it's made of brick. It ain't going nowhere, I don't think. And that's where Vern was living for a while. Is that on Broadway there? Uh, yeah, it's right across from the fire department. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And uh, wow. so that's where you start and the water tower. And then, of course, we always said it was something in the water, you know. Of course. So, yeah. but that's yeah. where you really can start. And then Larry graduated 55, I think. And uh, uh, it was just fun. I mean, Larry Henning, as Kurt's dad, we'd walk by and go, hey, axe, and we'd like best pulls our arm. And I remember I told Kurt that the axe's eyes were so close together, I thought it was one eye. <laughs> Kurt would just be busting up. He loved it. Was that the Larry the Cyclops, Hennig? <laughs> God bless his heart, but he, you know, and then Kurt got his eyes, of course, so I wrote him, you know. But John, that, that is such a great legacy, you know, and I love Robbinsdale. You know, the only time that I go to Robbinsdale these days is to go to Pawn America, see if I can get anything from my old Pounds uh, AWA patients. You know? hey, I've been there. I've been there. Oh, oh I insult you, too. Oh, they insult you. <laughs> Oh, I'm like five bucks. I came in here sitting. I'll be out in a half hour with a C note, guys. Done deal. Oh, it's great. Uh, We've all done that walk of shame with that five dollar bill. You the water, the water can get real choppy, you guys. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that guy, of course, that I don't know, the owner of Pawn America. You got, you know, the guy that used to do the commercials. Remember him? Yeah, sure. Do them. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah. Back to Robinsdale, you guys. It was. Uh, Really fun, and I mean for real. And those guys, uh, Barry, a guy like Barry Darso, who, you know, he Barry was never uh, figured as a tough guy, but he was younger. But I'll tell you what, he was the most athletic guy. Uh, Babe Ruth, Darso was plugging him 
50 feet longer than everybody else in baseball, wow. you know. So Barry was super athletic, and he was a good football, a really good football player. But And the list goes on. And I may, it's, before I quit talking here for a sec, Kurt Henning, um, you know, Kurt played at Normandale for a year. Yeah. And he yeah. played with a guy named Tim Moyer. His dad was a coach, but I went and watched him because I took a year off out of high school and I watched Henning play at North Hennepin College and junior college was strong then. Henning made 15 freaking solo tackles the next day in the, I think it was the post, uh, Hatchet Henning tackles North Hennepin. Hatchet Henning? Hatchet Henning tackles North Hennepin. So I was always going up to him and going, Hatchet Henning, Hatchet Henning, you know. Wow. So so we, we went from the axe and Mr. Perfect to the Cyclops and the hat. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So we kind of revised uh, wrestling history. Oh, my God. So, so, yeah. many gimmicks, so many gimmicks in that that family. I had no idea. Seriously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Joe, yeah, yeah. The axe is back and the axe is back to stay. Yeah, he said that about 20 times Remember every that? time he came in. <laughs> Yeah, that that was Larry. And he, oh, don't don't get me. Larry loved to hear it too. If you said that, Larry perked right up. He was your best friend. <laughs> you know, he really was. Uh, so, John, I mean, with with all of that history in Robbinsdale and all of the 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 guys who went into the business and so forth, yeah. um, was that what made you decide your decide to pursue your career in wrestling or what exactly propelled you to get into that ring? Well, I knew if I, I, I knew, you know how you always got a plan in your heart. What's what, what you're going to do, but you really don't go around advertising it. Sure. Um, I wanted to be a pro football player. Well, I got a year in with the New Jersey generals in the USFL. And that was as high as I got. And I knew I wanted to be a pro wrestler if pro football didn't pan out, which, of course, it didn't. And uh, so with all the connections and mainly getting out to Brad Ranga's camp in 84, um, I watched Kurt, you know, Kurt uh, had his son, Joe, I think, in 81. And uh, so I watched Kurt and he'd stop by and go and see him at the Robbinsdale Municipal Bar and be calling. And I got all excited about it even before I went to camp. I knew that this this is this is this is what I want to do, you know. Were were you a wrestling fan growing up as as a kid? I was an AWA fan. Yeah. I was you guys know the crusher. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, uh, on and on the crop, but to me, the crusher was probably, you know, and me and Kurt, what was funny was me and Kurt would go to our eighth, ninth grade lockers in the morning at, at the junior high. And if, and if, uh, somebody like Billy superstar Graham did an interview that Sunday, Monday morning, we were going, uh, Billy's typical grand baby May West looks best on people's chat. And then next thing you know, me and Henning are talking like that all day. Yes, uh, mine is fan, just fine, perfectly. Yes, uh. you know, and that's what we did. I think everybody else was doing it at the same time. You know what, John? That's so typical 
you know, uh, uh, so many people started as wrestling fans, imitating their favorite guys or, or, you know, whatever it may have been, or, you know, going through the moves, body slamming somebody on a mattress in the, in the basement or whatever. Um, I had a question because you mentioned Brad Ringens as one of your trainers. And of course, Brad is phenomenal. Yeah. Another guy that I believe had something to do with your training was Eddie Sharkey. Is that not uh, correct? Ed, Eddie did. He did. Uh, I met him uh, over on Broadway, uh, North Minneapolis, and he had a wrestling room over there that he trained guys at. And uh, I ended up drifting over there the summer of 84. And, uh, um, God, John, thank you so much for coming. John, did you bring any money? <laughs> God, God, what a nice shirt, John. Well, now that you mentioned, I think we will go out to Brad. Yes. And, of course, Eddie would be right there with his hand out going, you know. <laughs> God, John. Oh, thank you so much for coming. I'm like, easy, oh my God. easy, Eddie. <laughs> you can cancel out. No, but of course I love them. You know, you, you they just, you can't hit, these are your greatest characters. You know, just, I just loved it. You know, talking about Eddie Sharkey, I, I and the impression that you just did of Eddie, like, <laughs> yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> I don't. Know. I don't know how many times there would be. You know, we'd be running the shows at Ropers or George's and Fridley, and you know, Eddie at the end of the night. Yeah. Oh, boys, the poster money didn't come in. I'm, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, that's oh, it's Eddie, and he was hard to find sometimes too. No he kidding. But he was always there when the money was getting distributed. Isn't that something? It is amazing. I, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it just turned out that way that he, you know, he just. Like a magnet. Uh, and um, I would I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall listening to him and Brad split up the camp money. Uh, you know. Can uh, you imagine that? Here's straight shooting Brad, but and I don't mean you know, we don't mean that in any bit way. Of course, you yeah. know Eddie a lot better than me, man. You all you guys do. And just what a great guy. I just you know, uh Eddie, just, Eddie is legendary, and I've said this so many times, and it's I mean it from a complimentary standpoint. One of the biggest carnies in the history of the business, but that's what's lovable about Eddie Sharkey. I mean, you knew what you were gonna get with Eddie. Oh God, he might as well be running a Ferris wheel, you know. <laughs> God, and and he's like, uh, last time I seen Sharkey, I think it was at the gathering. I said, Eddie, uh, I was telling somebody like Eddie shot up Burns' office, you know, and these guys like, what? I said, talk to. I grabbed him. I said, Eddie. Did you shoot up Fern's office? He goes, oh, God, yes. Uh, Can he, a Canadian Colt in the West Side. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> and he named, the, he named the pistol like that. A guy can't make that up, can he? Oh. Right? Oh, my nine, God. Oh, nine millimeter. Little, little handle. A little heavy on the handle, but God, that shot nice. Oh, he, he, you know, he, the first time I talked about that in public, I thought, oh my God, do I want to bring this up? And Eddie mm -hmm. was just over this, like he just won a, you know, an Academy Award. He stood up and started taking a bow, and, <laughs> and right, I shot up the office. And, <laughs> oh, the guy was, and I don't know what year he did that. I'm sure it was something over, like him being a ref and not being a wrestler, you know. Well, and you no, know, actually, what the, was the, it, man? Well. There is a story about that, and uh, I don't know all the details. This would have been 
about 64, 65. Sounds and nice. uh, Eddie at the time was married to Princess Little Cloud. Ah. Dixie Jordan. And I believe there was some issue with Vern booking or booking her or something. Yeah. And uh, Eddie didn't take kindly to it. And I think <laughs> it, uh, instead of burn up on the phone and calling him a name, he decided to go down to the office with a nine millimeter. Oh, so, you know, horse apiece. Canadian, uh, Canadian Mountie gun, man. Uh, talk about how you first actually got into the AWA itself. Did you contact Vern? Did he know about you? Did Brad set you up? How did that happen? Went to Brad's camp uh, through Kurt Henning uh, via Eddie, um, but ba Brad had his first camp technically in October 84, and uh, it was 30 days, and this was when it was still tough. Me, uh, Rob Rick Steiner, uh, a couple other guys, and we went full steam. It was no joke. Well, here the whole time, I knew my father-in-law had been best friends with Vern Gagne, but I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, so I didn't even say nothing. I didn't even want a relay message to use him as a as a get-me-in type deal. I didn't. I just went to camp. I didn't say a word. And then one day at the end of camp, Greg came by at about the 30th day, so it was probably Thanksgiving 84 type thing. We're all standing there in our you know, sweaty stuff, and uh, and Greg's showing us how to do a drop kick, and uh, actually very, you know, very nice, very, uh, very, uh, you know, very kind and gracious, and then all of a sudden, Vern walks in, and Vern comes in, and, uh, you know, Vern starts with it, <laughs> Vern started with his stuff, like, you're lucky you're here, huh? You know, stuff like that, but and then out of nowhere, I said, hey, Vern, I think you might know my father-in-law. And he said, well, who's that? I said, Bud, B-U-D, Elson, E-L-S-E-N. And he goes, huh? He goes, hold it now. There's two Bud Elsons. Which one are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about Joe Elson, my father-in-law. His jaw almost dropped. And uh, he just, he, uh, he just couldn't say enough kind of words. He Vern looked at me and said, you're married to his daughter. And my wife, she's a little, little sweet bookworm, the opposite of me, you know. And he said, listen, you treat her good. Those are salt of the earth people. And I never forgot that he said that to me. That, that is, that's yeah. Funny. And uh, then I'll never for, forget, Greg pulled me to the side. And he said, you know, this is pre-Eddie Mansfield stuff, oh, right? Sure. So it was heavy kayfabe, and, and, and Greg says to me, listen, John, we nobody knows the secrets of our trade. If we find out you're telling anybody, you'll be fired immediately, and we'll deny anything you said. That's wow. what Greg said to me. Wow. That's yeah. So I took it serious, you know. Not really. I was out with drunk with Henning the next night, telling everybody, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, I got secrets. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you know? Oh, my mouth was. And 
uh, we just, it, it was, again, it was just so much fun, but that's how I got in. And then years later here, not too much, I started thinking about it. No matter what I did, how many times I no showed and this and that, Vern never fired me. And you know what? Uh, hello, Joe Elson, you know, and uh, I didn't try to, I was just, you know, you know how it is. You're on the verge of not making enough money. You quit, you get back and, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was just, then of course, you know, every, every, I had my demons. I would go out there and get drunk and no show. And uh, uh, I held it together pretty good, but definitely. You know, it, it, it's interesting. And I want to thank you because uh, when you said that 30 years ago was Vern pulled you to the side and said, you know, you're lucky to be here. Yeah. You said the same thing to me at 87. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I think you said the same thing to Hulk Hogan. So mm -hmm. I, you, know, you might have been a trendsetter, John. Going, going, uh, way, way back then, we were all lucky to be there. Um, I wonder, By the way, you can include me in that group as well. I was lucky that Vern gave me the job to do his, uh, his team. Yeah, yeah. And every time I think of you, Joe, I think of that big camera in front of your head. <laughs> well, so, anything to block this face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a name like Polish Joe, come on. Dude, <laughs> I don't need to look at the guy. Just tell me about it. Just him. a quick thing about kayfabe. So I, I remember when I first started, and we had interview days, you know, like it was either a Tuesday or a Wednesday. So you'd have all of the boys come in. Yeah. And in the beginning, I remember Vern, like, whispering to some of the boys, hey, you got to separate, you know, basically baby faces, yeah. you go here, heels, you go there. And here I am just thinking, seriously, by the end of the very first day of doing interviews, there's the, the co-mingling and everything. And oh, I, yeah. And every once in a while, I just sneak a peek over at Vern and I, I could, I swear that he was like looking at me like thinking, okay. Okay, I gotta keep an eye on this guy. Yeah. Don't, be, don't be breaking kayfabe. It's like, come on, Vern. Well, and you know, we were all like, we all got our stories on that Vern like that. But I'll tell you what, the one thing I always go back to is we all know that that was good for that business. He was yes. the last guy to do it. He was a hard ass on that, and that was it's so refreshing even to talk about a guy like that. You know, it really is as big as God bless his heart, his ego was sometimes um he was so good for the business he he was the business when we were growing up right you know John, I, i'm thinking of what bobby heenan used to say about Vern. you know what people ask yeah. him what was he and bobby said if you did your job if you showed up on time if you listened he's close what he wanted that was it you he's know? close you're making it simple hard you guys right yeah absolutely Speaking yeah, yeah. of making things, you know, running into brick walls, and I got—I want to fast forward here. You and I talked a little bit in Waterloo. Yeah, it was a ringside for time back in in the in the eighties. Yeah, and you were wrestling. I believe it was Tom Zink. Yes, and if I, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you if you have ever heard the sound of a face. And an eye yeah. in contact with a steel ring pole at about a hundred miles an hour. I've never 
seen anything like it in my life. Yeah. Uh, the injury. I, I, I just remember seeing you hit the ring post and hearing that noise. Tell me about that a little bit. That oh, was- God. Here I am, greener and grass. I got my New Jersey Generals, uh, you know, football jersey on at the Civic Center. And uh, I'm excited. I got my wife in the back with a couple buddies and uh, uh, having fun. But I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm so nervous my knees are shaking. You know, to get out there in front of all that people. It just, it didn't come natural. Most people think it, it does, but it don't. And here I am wrestling Tom, and Tom had been had some experience, you know. And what happened was I'm going to do a I, – I run to do a shoulder block into his gut, and he's in the turnbuckle standing up, and he moves, and I'm going to do something where I get hung up. Well, the steel pole, a round steel pole, and it had those uh, little U things on it for clips. Yes. yes. One of them is sticking straight out. I hit it as hard. I tell people that's the hardest I've ever been hit by far on planet Earth. And I hit it. My face swelled up, and it's like you go into some kind of shock. It really don't hurt. It just happened and now you're moving on but it was oh god and you're so right mick it was as hard as what it sounded oh my god and you know and and i remember distinctly everybody about ringside it wasn't that they that they gasped they would they just kind of froze they did not believe that a human being could survive that kind of impact i mean man you went right in there there were no hands up. You went face first. And and what happened? Did you have an, an eye issue after that or, or something? Was that uh, the injury? No, no. But it did swell up and close my eye. But um, it, it just swelled. It was mainly a cheek. I didn't break nothing. I didn't even go to the doctor. My but uh, it swelled up so fast that uh, uh, I just kept going. And it was... Uh, uh, I wish it could have been main event with Hulk Hogan, but it wasn't. It was second match with Tom Sink at the Civic Center, and the match didn't mean nothing. But if at least you're going to do that to yourself, do it on a big match, John, you know. <laughs> well, as much pain, you know, that happened to you in that incident, I think I feel equally as bad for that ring post because I oh, you. Yeah. You are not a small human being, John. No, no, I, uh, I and that there's, you know, that that happened out inside the Leaning Post Bar, the Robbinsdale Municipal <laughs> Gardens. That's right. Maybe I did do it like ten times. I can't remember. No, but yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there were a lot of sidewalks, John, that had an extra crack in them. I think over the years, <laughs> uh, from the impact of your noggin, I, I, I think you actually created your own Hollywood Walk of Fame sometimes with your hands in cement, and you didn't really do um, Well, and what I'll never forget, I'm walking in the backstage in Eris. I got back. Everybody knows I'm not hurt that bad because I'm still walking and talking, but I'm just saying the F word and this and that. Sure. Kurt Henning walks by. You know what he says to me? Jean-Claude Keeley, Like a Claude, you know. I said, thanks, Kurt. John Claude Keeley, me, you know. Anyways, yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Just, 
slightly off script, but the, the, the injury brings up um, a story that I um, had heard about you. Yeah. Um, when you were with the New Jersey Generals and you either had a leg brace on or a cast on or something, and as the story was told to me um, by somebody who played football um, with um, uh, uh, Hawk up at, uh, oh God, where they play up in Moorhead or something like that. Anyway, that you were at a bar and some yeah. guy just decides to cold cock you. You end up chasing the guy down. Oh. Um, managed yeah. to get your finger into his mouth and you like basically ripped his cheek. Oh, geez. Well, I think Mick knows that one. Um, that was actually, and uh, we were, we were at Grandma B's in a cast and Tommy Ferrara, a good friend of Eddie's, oh, yeah. ended up being a nice guy in that. But Tommy, little Italian guy with a chip on his shoulder and a nice guy, of course, but I didn't know him. And he did. I stood up in a cat and he got me. But then the, the, the crap hit the fan. Everybody starts punching everybody. And I'm trying to get to this guy. I'm like, here's John again. My face is like this. And I'm going to get that. And I finally, I got my hands on him. And I did, I did. Well, we were doing because it, it was like a lawnmower. And it still gives me the creeps. It was that bad. I remember in his cheek and all. Oh, honest to God, I, I, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't have done it, but I did. But, um, uh, and Eddie was always a little, I'd go, Eddie, that guy's a piece of shit. And, and Eddie would go, oh, Tom's a tough kid. Tom's a nice guy. I'm going like, Eddie, stop. He cold cocked me, you know. So Eddie just didn't see that side. That he didn't need no bad. Eddie just wanted to keep the peace, you know. Well, I, I, you, know, you said that you feel bad about it. I'm guessing that Tommy probably felt a little bad about God, it. That's funny how I feel that way, guys. <laughs> you know, I knew the story, John. I knew that it happened, but I did not know that it was Tommy Ferrara. No kidding. Yeah, I asked Eddie about it. Yeah, it sure huh. was. Uh, and then there was another guy at the Hill Bar in Hamill, and uh, that was another one. But, uh, yeah, um, I and what's crazy is I am not like that, man. I'm the happiest drunk there is. Uh <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, the main thing is, is it, there, there, there is a lot of stories. And, and of course, if I, if I think the hardest I ever laughed, and as you guys too, anytime we're on the road, you guys included, you guys, when you're on the road going to these deals, is it any more fun than sitting there with your buddies? Oh, you know what I mean? Greatest. Chris? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, nothing, I, nothing better than, I, I, I got to tell you what, uh, me and Han, me and Henning started talking about the Munsters, right? The Munsters, Herman, Lily. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're watching this, and we're talking about this episode of the Munsters where Herman turned into a hippie. And the girl's dancing with them, and Herman's got the beads on, and the music stops, and she starts going, Mr. Munster, the music has stopped. You can quit dancing now. And Herman just keeps dancing. She says, Mr. Munster, the music has stopped. And he goes, don't freak now, baby. I'm too far out. <laughs> so what a, what a great line, right? Don't freak now, guys. I'm too far out. That is 
Fantastic. Oh my God. So before, like you were talking about some of the, you know, some of the, the wrestlers that you admired kind of growing up, like yeah. who were your, who were your, your role models and kind of the, the guys that you look up to when you were a fan before you got into the business? Before I got into business, I, I think uh, my memory goes back to uh, when Billy Garrett, superstar Billy Graham would come in and, and do these, you know, whatever deal he had with Vern, because we would just be all over it. We'd be, uh, and then Kurt told me that he went to Duluth with them when he was like in ninth or 10th grade. And I'm going, you're going to Duluth, you know, with superstar Billy Graham. Well, Henning gets back. I says, how was the ride? He goes, it was so great. And yeah. And then Kurt, you know, and, it, and I guess Billy Graham was going, Curtis, Curtis Michael, a man needs his pastries. And he's eating like rolls, you know, <laughs> the exact opposite of what you think Billy Graham would be, you know. It said a man needs his pastries. So we always said that too. But I think that, but I'm like you guys, you know, how can you beat the crusher? How can you beat, you know, them top guys, mad dog? I mean, uh, those guys were incredible talents. And uh, I, I, I know Chris has a little follow up to that, but. Um, you mentioned the talent and you were lucky enough, John, to come in, even though you were mid to late eighties, there was still that residual AWA talent. Yeah. Still there before the, the wheels started to fall off a little bit. Yeah. Were, well, really well said. Fortunate. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I agree. Uh, I did get the last of the old timers and the beginning of the new guys. And if there was a, pivotal point i don't know if you guys thought about this or agree but it was probably the road warriors because mike and joel went in they wanted them to work with the crusher well they just they didn't sell it they didn't do nothing and the crusher came back in the locker room he was just he did not like the young muscle guys you know what i mean and uh, not that that made him a bad guy. He wasn't. He just had a hard time adapting the way we have a hard time adapting now to these new guys. You exactly. Know? Exactly. So, so interesting point about Crusher. Was it was it more that the times were changing or was he just pissed off that the guys weren't doing their job? by not selling for him. I, I heard stories that, you know, the roadies wouldn't sell for him and Bruiser and guys like this. So was he coming at it from that standpoint or more, uh, you know, I don't want to give up my my standpoint. I, I think you said it all there, Mick. I think you said it all right there. And, uh, uh, you know, some of the stuff was so outdated, you know, the, yeah. the big punch. Oh. I mean, but then I, you know, I, I worked with the Crusher a couple of times and Mad Dog a couple of times, and I would just sell their stuff. You know, I, I wanted to get just, I wanted to have a good match always, and then I wanted to get on the road in the 85 Lincoln. I sold Henny, you know, but you're right. Uh, it was hard. It was even hard to watch them guys. And the oh. only guy that I seen where it didn't rattle them at all was the Baron. The Baron never changed, never got this way, that way. He was that great a dude and still is, that's, you know, that's, right? I'm sure you guys are. And I don't know why the the crush and they, they're, 
I think he started to feel kind of shorter and smaller. And what are you going to do? You know, you got to, and that's, you can't stop change. And uh, he found that out too, the way we find it out now. That was, that's such a great point, John, because I remember with Crusher specifically, you know, his last good run, I think it brought him in for a feud with Jerry Blackwell. Yeah. You know, and, and they were going back and forth. But by the time he started teaming up with Baron, and they were put over as the yeah. tag team champs for a while. Yeah. Well, now not only did the business change, but the audience changed. You had a role yeah, for yeah. the audience now. And Crusher had been popular for 30 years, but there was no credibility anymore. That's a right. Your old guy beating up on Hawk and Animal. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, exactly, Mick. And Mick, what, your first was 87, Mick? Was your uh, first year 87, 86? In, in uh, doing the thing? Yeah, I mean, what what was the first year you was, first, was showed up with I Vern? I started with Vern doing the announcing in 87. But I Same, mean, I, yeah. I, I hanging around for years before that. But yeah, 87. So okay, so I, yeah, that's I, about what I thought. Yeah, by that time, Crusher, I mean, it was just, it wasn't working it anymore. It was bad. It was bad. And one thing that I didn't realize, remember ESPN? Right with Vern, yeah, yeah. he that I just thought it was another show that was going to get dusted under the table, no big deal. Well, it turns out, man, there the Vince mentioned I seen you on ESPN when I got hired for him. Next thing I know, that ESPN melt, meant a lot, right? And I didn't think it meant Jack Squat, but it well, that shows wheelhouse. It was, was it? ESPN, yeah. The AWA alive. Yeah. The, the AWA would have extended longer than it did if ESPN would have given Vern another contract. But I mean, that, that was Vern's bread and butter. He was making a ton of money, John. I mean, you know, the house shows were squat syndication. Vern was yeah. syndication mm-hmm. still yeah. to air the show in some markets. Vern yeah. did not pay attention to all-star wrestling. Yeah. Um, and he brought up about how guys uh, or Vince said that he saw you on ESPN. I yeah. brought it up on a previous podcast about yeah. how. Yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was last week that we we talked about that. Just how important that that TV deal was, yeah, just was. to the talent and, and the fact that yeah, like you yeah. say, John, if it wasn't for that, like that was the springboard for you to really take that next step and go to New York. Yeah, it, it really was, but you didn't even know it at the time. <laughs> And that comes straight from the semi-controversial, always well-dressed Chris Tubbs. <laughs> I don't know why I like saying that. Have I been dropped on my head or something? Anyways, I'll tell you which ones I remember the most, you guys. I don't know about how you are, but those ESPNs at the showboat with Brody, uh, we had about three of them in a row where then me and Frank got kicked out of the showboat. We got kicked out of ESPN. Because we hit uh, the job guys in the head with mops, and there was uh, mop water on a guy in the audience. It was out of hand. And then I went to the showboat bar after the matches, and there's this girl I know from Robbinsdale, Peppy, big family. She's there with her dad. Frank comes by and just looks at her like this. And this girl started crying. (laughs) 
by Frank looking her. I'm going like, and she went away and I went with her down to the end of the bar. She's got tears coming down her eyes. She goes, this guy made me cry. I'm going like, Frank, what was that about? <laughs> You're married, brother. I'm like, Frank, if she's from Robinsdale. She you know, so, but that's a true story. Brody's the only guy I know that stared at someone to make him cry. Just never met him, just stared at their eyes. I want to go back to this mop <laughs> business. Would it, I mean, yeah, yeah, say mop water there. I figured that was I, a good yeah. mop water. Right, to... You guys are the experts. This guy uh, was a black guy, and I remember he was maybe six one, six two, kind of out of shape, but not too bad. And he was, and he's with us. And we go down the aisle from the locker room. Brody grabs the bucket. I'm like, Frank's off to the races. So I better grab something. <laughs> so now I grab the mop. We get in the ring, and the job guys are just going, they don't know what's coming. I take this big, heavy mop by the handle, and it's got the most putrid swamp water on it you ever smelled. I do a whirly twirl. And whack this guy in the side of the head. And I'll never forget it. He went down to one knee and goes. <laughs> and he froze for about 30 seconds like that. The fans started clearing out. It looked like, uh, you know, the wave. And it was incredible. And we got kicked out. Greg comes to us. He goes, good job, John. I said, what? He goes, you and uh, you guys are kicked off. You, you're kicked out of ESPN. You're kicked out of the showboat. I mean, I said, so, oh, okay. I said, do you want me to tell Frank? I noticed you ain't going to Frank. Right. <laughs> huh. So the behind the scenes story, it was not ESPN. It was not the showboat that were pissed. It was Vernon Gregg because it wasn't wrestling the way that they. Yeah. Wanted it, and I remember yeah. telling Greg, "I go, well, what the hell do you expect? You've got Brody to yeah. begin with, and then you got Johnny, who is who is his protege at the time. Yeah, I mean, what what do you expect? <laughs> do you remember that, Joe? I was in the truck. I remember Jeez. that. You know, good. I'm glad we got somebody to verify that. I, I'm like in the studio on Monday morning. I remember after that, Greg came in. I, I had the one inch tapes Monday morning. I put them up and you know, figure out the times on the matches and so forth. And and Greg walks in and I was timing that particular match. Wow. And, and Greg, you know, he, he goes, Yeah, those sons of bitches, they, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we just, we got to teach them a lesson. We want wrestling here. That and sounds I'm like Greg. Like, you're fucking kidding me. That was yeah, you're going to teach them a lesson. Well, and well, what was funny about Greg, I uh, uh, when we do a tag team or whatever, and Greg's in there, Brody's, one of the things Frank did in the ring was he'd have a guy throw him into the turnbuckle. And then Frank would yell out. Now this, I've never told this, but this is true. This is what he does. He'd have a guy throw him into the turnbuckle. I'd be on the, and, and Frank would yell out to the guy. So he yells to Greg after he throws him in the turnbuckle. And Frank would yell out, come get some. In other words, come on, get some, start beating the shit out of me, right? Oh. Well, what do you think's going to happen? The boot comes up. 
And the guy, you know, and I remember Greg running full steam thinking, I'm going to get some. I'm going to get some. And Frank sticks that boot up, and Greg just waffle. He kind of bent over like a folding table. And so Greg, the next week, of course, in the locker room, was, come get some, Greg. He's like, <laughs> you've got a drinking problem, he says. So I, go ahead. So you, 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 you talk about Brody, and yeah. um, I mean, it's obvious that in the, 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 your, your character, um, yeah. you're the barbarian, it was, it, it was modeled after Brody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for most of your career, if not all of it, if I'm not mistaken, you were a monster heel. Is th- was it natural for you? And is that what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think uh, you guys, I, I just, I just don't think anything else was in me. You know, he just happened to be there when I met him in Japan in 85. And uh, then people started dropping little seeds and, uh, next thing you know, you're half Brody, half Road Warrior, and all I know is I, 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 I wanted, I wasn't a, a baby face. I wasn't go out there and say a bunch of articulate things, you know, Nick Bockwinkle type stuff. So I didn't really have no other choice. I mean that, you know, I had guys tell me over the years that I graduated with. They says you are a true barbarian. It's like you are a really for real a barbarian. You've been you've been that way since you've been in ninth grade. But the main thing is, yeah, the the barking and the style. Yeah, I got that from Frank, and uh, uh, Frank gave me the okay on it, even when I wasn't with him yet. You know, in '86, and yeah. then I remember Frank coming in the locker room in ESPN. I think we were somewhere east, Joe, or and. Now I got to tell him I'm acting like you, Frank, in the ring. And uh, I take that back. I really didn't get his okay till this night. And I said, Frank, uh, I hope you're not mad at me or nothing like that, um, that I'm doing this, you know, and it's exactly what I said. And he said, brother, you're a respectful guy, man. I remember Japan, you know, a couple of years ago, and then he just got right on it. But the only way that you're going to get Frank Goodish's blessing is if you say something real, something humble, something forthright in his face. Otherwise, you're just going to be another pussy. And I knew at least to do that, and I did it, and it, it was great. We had a great relationship. Well, I got to say that you did him well in terms of being Brody too. If I, I, you know, I I don't want to take anything away from what you accomplished. Yeah. But you and Brody as a tag team, one of my favorites because of the complete and total unpredictability of what the hell is going to happen in that ring. I enjoyed every minute watching it. Thanks, Joe. No, uh, you know what? I I never really felt really that worthy, but I knew Frank was a ring general. You know, when you're in the ring with Frank Goodish, he's the general. That's what everybody knows right away. I figured it out quick. And... Uh, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. What was we were just talking about, Joe? 
Well, I was just giving you credit for being Thanks. Brody. I mean, I, a phenomenal. In fact, just real quick, I remember, and I, I told you this at the AWA reunion um, pre-pandemic. Yeah. First time I'd seen you since yeah, the Joe. that. I remember that. You walked into that control room that very first time. Yeah. I'm thinking in my head, holy shit, this is the largest human being I have ever seen <laughs> in my life. I mean, I'm 6'3", 200 pounds. I mean, on, on the thin side. So I'm not short or anything, but I'm sitting there doing this. It's like, don't hurt me. <laughs> yeah, and it was, we were a little bit of a loaded cannon in them years, too. You don't know if, you know, you're going to chop a cameraman and just to rip his nipple off or something, you know. I, I can't, you know, I'm more than Let one. Let me see, did your nipple still there, Joe? Okay, okay, that's Whoa, good. Hold on, I might have to Mike it. never chopped it off, huh? Mike no, was no. Mike was known to get a few nipples in his career. <laughs> well, you know, the whole camera gimmick, I will tell you that I did actually approach Vern about at being in the showboat, giving me a dummy camera on my shoulder like I'm going yeah. to and having me take a bump. I mean, I was 22 years old. I was young and strong. I mean, I was... I was in really good shape. It's like, I can take a bump yeah. for it. Let me do it. No, kid. You well, you, yeah, that's that's great. But, you know, just quick, I remember Hawk chopped Kurt so hard once. Uh, this is before Kurt got buff. And Kurt's, the, the left half of his nipple was bleeding. And uh, me, I was just like, yeah, and Kurt's like, Fucking hawk! What the fuck is wrong with him? You know, fucker does that to me. I'm gonna do it to him back. I don't care. You know, Kurt. He's all defensive now. It's just oh, not yeah. like Hawk really tried to rip your nipple off, Kurt. Anyways, but here's the thing: is before I forget, you guys, make sure I tell you about the Brody contract, and I'll tell you about it. Absolutely, and you know, on on that great note, can you imagine how great? Kurt would have been if he had a full nipple going on for the rest of his career. He would have been more than perfect. Maybe that's why he kept saying you got two nipples for a dime. You know, I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, be before we wrap up the uh, the first part of this, John, uh, kind of tell us what you got coming up because you guys are going to be out in uh, Los Angeles for uh, WrestleMania. I know that you got some things that you're going to be doing out there. Uh, I've got it on the scroll, but kind of tell us Chris. what you got. Yeah, tell us what you got going on out there, and any way we can help to to get the word out. Well, thanks for bringing that. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, I ain't gonna plug it super hard, but we, uh, uh, my buddy Justin, uh, got us hooked up in a comedy club in Pasadena two nights before. It's called the Ice House, and me and the Grappler, my longtime friend from 1985, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet, you guys, Lynn Denton. He yeah. is the real deal. He's all heart. He's my, he's just a wonderful man. Anyways, and then uh, the WrestleCon, which uh, uh, Justin got us a table, and we're just going to hammer it out, sell merchandise, T-shirts, and uh, uh, just try to rock and roll. I'm looking to try to run into Bret Hart. I've been talking to him a little bit. I've been, and I'm trying to run into The Undertaker, if that's possible. And uh, we were we were pretty tight in the day, and he's called me once in 25 years. So I'm a little 
teed off. You know, the guy, the kid's done all right for himself, I guess. You know, he ain't John Nord, but let's face it. Who is? Yeah, who, who is that? You know? What? Besides, yeah. You know, you're, you're it. I, yeah, I, I, I I, I love the mob story, John. And as we close out here, that get, you know, I've heard the expression the guy could put over a broomstick. Yeah. But I never heard of a guy putting over a shit stained mop oh. to the side of his head. So that oh. was that was terrific. I, oh. I appreciate that. And you know, fits right right in with the rest of my poop stories I got. Yeah. <laughs> so several of them. Several. And I don't know. I think we're gonna keep it clean, guys, but Yes, uh, I just want, before this half closes up, you guys, I could do this for hours with you three dudes, man. This, oh. I, I mean that. You know how we get, we get, you know, Chris Farley, we're going to wrestle around. We're going to be pads, we're going to be buddies, we're going to be amigos. Oh. We'll see you next week, right, Chris? Uh, yeah, I guess. Fuck it. Yeah, we're coming back with part two next week. Uh, Chris, you understand just fine perfectly, brother. You know, I'm going to be there. The man needs his pastries. Yeah.